One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that builds biographical bridges between our guests and you with the help of just three songs that are embedded in their lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Scott Miller. Scott grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and comes from a radio background, as his father was a DJ in Toledo when he was growing up. He spent four years in the United States Coast Guard and then attended Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. He's worked in radio for the past 29 years in both management and sales roles. He says his career took him to such beautiful places as Norfolk, Virginia, Allentown, Pennsylvania, Augusta, Georgia, Columbus, Ohio, and both Huntington and Wheeling, West Virginia. And for the past nine years, he's been a resident of Southwest Florida, and he worked as a sales manager for iHeartMedia before joining us here at WGCU a few months ago as our new Associate General Manager of Business Partnerships and Corporate Investments. Hey there, Scott. How are you this morning? Good, Mike. How are you doing? It's this afternoon. I just said this morning. That's okay. How are you this afternoon? I'm, I'm doing well. Um, so you've heard a couple episodes now. I've actually listened to most of the episodes. That really? Are, yeah, on, that are on Podbean. As somebody who has come from a background in radio, what do you think of what we're doing here with stories and music? It's great. I knew a three song stories prior to actually coming to work here. Um, my sister had listened to a couple of them and uh, uh, we had talked about it. I Kind of listened to a few before that, but then when I started two months ago here, um, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole and started listening to them all. Well, that makes me really happy. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. nice to hear that. Yeah. And by it's the way, this is a great pod. This is my first uh, in-studio recording for almost three months because I was out getting a knee replacement. Okay. So I'm happy to be here. How'd it go? Uh, really good. I'm walking around. Nice. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, do you listen to music in the car? And if so, what were you listening to on the way here this morning? So on the way here this morning, I was listening to Sirius XM and I was listening to... Um, uh, LL Cool J's Rock the Bells, which is uh, the old school hip hop channel. Um, so is Sirius that how you normally listen to music in the car? Um, between that and the phone or Spotify. Okay. Uh, I listen to Spotify. Um, obviously coming from a regular terrestrial background, uh, I listen to a lot of the local stations. So you still do listen to sure. some FM? Yeah, I okay. do listen to FM. Uh, We ask people that, you know, and it's most people say they don't really do that much anymore, but you're still relatively, you know, not far from that world. How are listenerships in the commercial terrestrial radio world compared to the past? Because it feels like they must be down. Yeah, they, they are. I mean, I think commercial radio scene um, kind of some ups and downs. During the pandemic, actually, the listenership was up. Um, but it's it's kind of on the decline again. But the last 10 years for terrestrial radio have been pretty much a decline. Gotcha. I mean, you know, loss of listeners, obviously, and not because of, uh, you know, not because of other things like uh, other radio or whatever, but Spotify obviously has taken some of that away, YouTube, and, you know, people live on their phones. Yep. So the, the company I worked for previously had an app, and that actually is where all the traction is right now. Understood. So you grew up in Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> Toledo, Ohio. How would you describe the musical background of your childhood there? Um, so it's the Rust Belt, and I grew up uh, – um, the, the music that was around at that time, I listened to a rock station, uh, and it was kind of hard-edged. Uh, so everything was very uh, you know, Bob Seger, Ted Nugent um, – uh, yes, uh, electric light orchestra. You know, rock of that of, of that era is kind of what I grew up listening to. What were your parents listening to, and and did you diverge from them, or you know, was there a dynamic there? Yeah, my my folks. Um, my father was a disc jockey his whole life, actually. I was and, get to that. Yeah, and so <laughs> I grew up in a house that had a room that had nothing but albums in it, 
So I thought that was normal. You know, my friends didn't have al- that many albums in their house. So we had just uh, shelves and shelves of albums. So there was always music played in the house. Um, my dad's flavor was more, uh, I guess, uh, kind of just pop at the time, you know, 60s and 50s and 60s pop. That's kind of where he started out in that world. Um, so we listened to a lot of that. My mom was really into show tunes and uh, uh, more uh, kind of leaned toward jazz. And mm. I had a couple sisters, and we they they had diversified musical taste too. My one sister was a huge Beatles fan, and um, my other sister, you know, listened to a lot of pop. So we normally ask, you know, if you had to <clears> dig <throat> deep, what would be the earliest musical memory that you can recall? I'm going to reframe it for you. And what's the earliest musical memory you have of your father yeah. being a DJ? Well, well, two things. We uh, the house we grew up in. My my father was a he played piano and self taught, and we had an old upright piano that sat in the corner. And my dad, when we would go to um, go out to dinner or go somewhere, or go visit family or whatever, he was always the first downstairs and would play the piano and while everybody was getting ready. So that was kind of my first earliest musical memory. And nothing, uh, it was all, again, he was self-taught, so it wasn't uh, anything, you know, he wasn't playing classical pieces or anything like that. It was just he played music. And um, as far as DJing, we used to go to the radio station with my dad all the time. So he, the, the, at the time, I remember him playing, uh, you know, uh, uh, any, anything and everything, I guess, that was just, you know, pop music at the time. Turtles, Mamas and Papas, stuff like that. Did that plant the seed that led you to spending so many years in radio? Um, funny enough, I, uh, I, I it wasn't a path that I it kind of chose me. I uh, was in the Coast Guard. I actually spent some time in the military. And then after that, got out in Virginia, uh, went to school at Old Dominion University, and then went to work for a company selling copiers. And I... Uh, was calling, you know, making calls in town or whatever. And I kept calling on the same radio station. There was In my territory, there was a radio station. I called on that radio station. And probably the third time, the general manager of the radio station came and I said, you know, you've been here a bunch of times. You're trying to sell us a copier. We're not going to buy a copier. You want a job. So that's how I got in. Huh. That's how I got my first sales job in radio. My dad was on the, uh, he was on the, the DJ side, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So I got into the sales side of it. And that's how I got the job. Understood. Not, uh, just sort of sideways. I, I I didn't, you know, leave school thinking I was going to be in broadcasting. That's funny. Um, so he played the piano. <laughs> Did you play instruments? I uh, I am not in, musically inclined as far as instruments. The rest of my family is. Uh, my sister. Do you know you're not or you just didn't try so you assume you're not? Well, <laughs> I picked up the guitar <laughs> and I could, you know, just mash out chords. But that was it. I just... It was something that I, I I enjoyed, but I enjoyed listening to music more than I guess than playing it. My sister was uh, played string instruments. She actually played stand up bass in a concert band. Uh, my other sister played saxophone and did that you know for a long time. And then so and my mom she was uh, she didn't play any instruments. My dad again played the piano. What was the first band or musician that you really identified <clears throat> with personally? Hmm. Um, it's crazy stuff. Probably Bob Seger. That was like the first because. The, the radio station that I listened to in Toledo, it was uh, WIOT, and it was still a, a heritage rock station to this day, and Bob Seger was kind of on repeat, and I remember listening to that and hearing that uh, younger, and that was one of the first things that I remember hearing. Do you remember the first music that you owned yourself personally? Um, probably I bought a cassette of <laughs> We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll by Black Sabbath uh, at the time because it was just we went to the – uh, my friends and I had gone to a, the, I forget where, maybe it was Bargain City or one of these stores, and they had cassettes. And I bought that, and I thought, oh, okay, we'll give this a try. And that was, that was the first thing I bought. Was that a Walkman era yet? 
that one, it was actually that, at that time there, at that time there was not Walkmans, but there we had a tape. I had a cassette. Uh-huh. It was actually a Panasonic, a small blue Panasonic uh, single speaker uh, cassette deck, and that's what I played. What we played our first music on really lo-fi black, Su- yeah, Sabbath. super lo-fi. But they had albums. But I kind of wanted to break away from. I'd seen all the albums growing up, and all the albums of my dad. I'm like, I'm buy a cassette, so I got hmm. a cassette. Okay, it's time for your first song. It's the. Um, Sheena is a punk rocker. <laughs> I hope nobody hears Mel. Uh, would you like to tell a story or how would you like to proceed? So, you know, growing up in the Rust Belt, I mean, obviously the, the music that I was exposed to most time on the radio mostly because I was a big radio listener early on was, you know, Led Zeppelin, Kansas, things like that. And it was all sort of formulatic. But um, when I was 14, I went to a junior high school dance and – my, my friend and I, being awkward 14-year-olds, you know, standing on the wall and, <laughs> you know, listening. And at that time, I think they were playing, who knows, Journey or Kansas, just stuff that I heard but didn't really relate to. And there was a local DJ from the local radio station. And at the end of the night, like one of the last songs he played, he said, this is something different. And he played Sheena's a Punk Rocker by the Ramones. And my friend Randy and I, we charged up to the DJ, well, tell us more about this. Because it sounded completely different. Oh, yeah. Um, it was – there was a lot more energy. Um, and it just really spoke to, I don't know, kind of that angst. I mean, 14 years old, you're, you know, it's, it's a tough time anyways. And I heard this and it was just that crunchy guitar and, you know, and that sort of took me down the rabbit hole of getting into that type of music. And, and as soon as I heard that, I just wanted to know more. And so that was, that was in the early eighties. So the Ramones had been around for a while. They already had three or four albums at that time. And, you know, punk had kind of, you know, the Sex Pistols were gone. You know, The Clash was sort of on the way. I mean, had done their thing, but were sort of on the way out. And I really wasn't exposed to any of that music. When I heard the Ramones, it brought me back to the start of their careers and then just ripped through everything up to, you know, uh, uh, that I could find. Well, we're going to hear a play in it here in a second. But, um, you know, so you ran up to the DJ and said, what is this? Yeah. There must have been some people in the room that were like, what is oh, this? Oh, yeah, they were, holding, <laughs> they were holding their ears because at that time, maybe you can relate to that, at that time, discovering new music was sort of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you heard what was on the FM stations, and maybe if you knew somebody that, you know, had gotten a bootleg copy of something. Yeah, or a friend who had a college right, brother. Right, who had a college yeah. brother who was like, hey, you should hear this band, the Ramones. But... I really wasn't exposed to any of that and, um, you know, in, enjoyed music so much. And then when I heard it, it was just different. And that was like an exposure to something that, that to me, sounded completely different, almost foreign. Like, oh, my gosh, what is this? Well, let's you know, hear it out. through that lens. <laughs> this is uh, Scott Miller's first song here on Three Song Stories. This is the Ramones. Sheena is a punk rocker from their album Rocket to Russia that was released in 77. Come on. <laughs> so, so were you all in at that point? All in. Yeah. I mean, off to the races. Um, but the funny thing is about the Ramones, as a band that I just, you know, still to this day love so much and listen to, they were a pop band. They weren't, you know, uh, their stage persona, obviously, the leather jackets and the long hair. They looked different, for sure. But if you look at, you know, what the Ramones did, you know, Sheena is a punk rocker. It's a two-minute, 35-second pop song. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at some of the stuff they did, they actually covered – um, they covered a lot of pop songs, and they were just a three-chord, you know, pop band who is credited with, I guess, you know, the beginnings of punk. Um, but at the same time, they weren't doing anything differently as far as musical and you know structure and music. But what they were doing was their presentation, and the, there's those you know, that three-chord just crunch, and it just sounded differently. So I identified it with it because I grew up listening to pop music, and I heard this, I'm like, wow, this is different. It sounds so different. So did you become like a punk rock yeah, kid yeah, all through high school, the, the races, whole nine man, yards? The whole thing. So, <laughs> and it's funny, just just like a lot of people probably, and again, d- discovering music, 
So just went down the rabbit hole. So started hanging out at the record stores. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a there was a couple different record stores. This is what you say, 81, yeah. 80, then 82, 83. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just a couple different record stores in Toledo. Started hanging out there and, you know, grabbing as much stuff. And, and, and punk, the early punk had started to kind of wane and the new, some of the more aggressive, uh, more aggressive punk started to kind of come into the picture. And, you know, there was a lot of bands, a lot of West Coast bands, circle, people like Circle Jerks and Black Flag. And so that led to that. And, you know, I, I just absorbed as much of that as I could. And then it came to a point, I mean, uh, the really hardcore punk stuff, I really didn't care for that as much because it got away from the pop sensibilities, what I really enjoyed. And some of the anger stuff wasn't, wasn't really for me. Although I was, you know, <laughs> we were all kind of. And thought we were anarchists. We're going to change the world. <laughs> you know, did it, did that world. pivot because of that DJ playing that song uh, sort of shift around your social circle some? Because I know like in high school, things are kind of clicky. Yeah. And, you know, if you hadn't gotten in punk, you might end up being a whole kind of yeah. different person during that I era. Was, you know, it's really funny. The, the school that I went to was probably a lot like a lot of schools. You had your jocks. You kind of had your burnouts. And then, you know, the kind of people in between. I was always in between. I played football. I was involved in sports. I played football and wrestled. And so kind of hung out with the jock crowd, but the, you know, the burnout crowd was listening to the Stooges and, you know, Led Zeppelin. And so there was a few of us that my friend and I, that, that kind of gravitated. So we were sort of in the middle. You of straddled yeah, the jocks just, and the yeah, burnouts, yeah. <laughs> which was, which was great. <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. Yeah. It worked out good. And, um, my, my best friend, uh, he was, you know, six, he was six, three and had long, you know, kind of had long hair and he was, you know, kind of the punk kid at school. I didn't, I sort of dressed the part, but I didn't have a mohawk. You didn't go all in with mohawk. Yeah. And, well, my and parents were nose yeah. piercings. No, uh-uh. and, yeah, okay. I mean, I was always I looked for the coolest band T-shirts. I was always looking for the right. you know the latest band T-shirt and wore you know because the Ramones wore Chuck Taylors high tops. That's what I wore. So, um, but yeah, it was it, you know it was a, kind of in the middle of you know between those groups in high school. But there was a, there was a couple of us, and I think we were seen as you know kind of the punk kids at school. And so, yeah, that's how, that's how that went. What musical wave came along that then maybe pushed you into a new direction? Because, you know, at some point you probably yeah. were, were less identifying as a punk guy. So my, um, my, my sister, my middle sister, um, went to the University of Michigan. And uh, she was studying at the University of Michigan. And I, I would go to visit her. And so this was kind of, you know, sort of my still punk phase. And Get close, sorry. Um, get, still sort of in my punk phase. And then she introduced me to, she was sort of the um, catalyst for a lot of the newer music at that time. People like the Smiths, um, New Order, um, mm-hmm. people like that. So that was sort of what was happening at University of Michigan on the college campus. So I got exposed to a lot of that. So it started to shift a little bit. And that sort of um, led me to a couple different genres. Got to, I, you know, I still love the Smiths to this day. I mean, great stuff. Joy Division, um, bands like that. So... Uh, you know, through her, she sort of, that was her gift to me. She I, she introduced me to that stuff. She's like, listen to this. Again, another introduction to a different type of music because mm-hmm. no one was playing the Smiths on commercial radio. I mean, college stations were, but they had no really commercial success through the mid-80s, you know, until the time they broke up. Yeah, yeah. So um, that, was the inter- that was the introduction to that. Why'd you join the uh, the Coast Guard? Man, it was just, <laughs> <laughs> both my sisters went off to school immediately and I just didn't, you know, I did the college thing, but later on, and it was just for me at that time, I guess, you know, some of those maybe punk rock, you know, punk rock sensibilities. I was like, I want to do something different. And did you want to get further from the center of the country? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did. And I wanted to do something different. And, you know, strangely enough, the way I wandered into the, I didn't wander into it, but, you know, I took all the tests to go to college and it just came to a point as in my senior year, I was like, I just, I'm not sure I want to do that just yet. So 
Um, I had a friend who was two years older than me, um, and he joined the Coast Guard. And I ran into him like on the street when I was a senior in high school. He said, that's great. You know, I travel all over. We do this. And I said, sounds good. So that, that's what I did. I said, that sort of took me in that route. And it, it seemed like the most pacifist thing to do. I mean, I didn't want to be in the Army. I, you know, had my, you know, at that time, Reagan was president and George W. was – so I didn't, want to, I didn't want to participate in that. But I thought the Coast Guard was a great, uh, you know, uh, uh, good organization that had, that had a good mission. If you had to rank the different branches of service, which would be the most punk rock and the least punk rock? <laughs> I would say the Air, Force, the Air Force is the least punk rock and yeah. probably to their detriment, the Marines was, at that time was probably the most punk rock. Just a lot of really – you know, I was an aggro. I was not, uh, you know, not an aggressive – I mean, again, I played sports, but I wasn't an aggressive, you know, that – but some people in that punk genre and, and later on into the hardcore part of it were just really aggressive. And that wasn't my – that really wasn't my thing. Do you have any musical memories that stem from your time in the Coast Guard that you could share with us? Uh, listening to it just a lot – just, as, again, listening to as much stuff as I could or trying to find – you know, just trying to find new music. Um, I was stationed down in Puerto Rico for a little while and had never heard uh, – I was stationed at an air base um, in Barincon which is on the west side of the island, very un-Americanized. And it was actually an old Air Force base and had gone uh, to uh, – there was like a festival. And there was uh, – you know, I had never really heard any Hispanic music or, or Puerto Rican music at that point and saw a live band. It was just blown away. I was like, wow, this is a little different. And so that was one of the memories, me and a couple of – and the guys that were with that were in the Coast Guard were like, oh, I don't really like the way this sounds. I'm like, oh, this is different. It's – you know, I haven't heard anything like this. It was native to, you know – uh, Puerto Rican, kind of that fast-paced drums, and and it was really cool. So, music being played, you know, when you were on a ship, that that um, thing. Yeah, I mean, people at that time again, music is so portable now. At that time, music wasn't as portable. So, you had people had their boom boxes or they had their Walkmans that they plugged in. There really wasn't a, there really wasn't anything in between. So, you know, you'd hear people, uh, you know, in a group of guys. Not everybody's going to like it. So. You know, turn that up, turn that down. But you know that that's how that's how you would hear music. Um, you know now everybody's everybody's you know got their earbuds in and you don't know what they're listening to. So then you got out of the Coast Guard and then you did <clears throat> do college. I did. I did a little bit of college at uh, at Old Dominion University and it was a good experience. I met my wife. She actually graduated from there and and decided to get on the straight and narrow and get in the business world. So <laughs> that's the and and got my first job in radio. Then any of these uh, musical memories stemming from your time at Old Dominion? Mm. Uh, going to see shows with my, at then it was my girlfriend who became my wife. We went and saw the psychedelic furs and the call and um, Norfolk was Norfolk Virginia Beach was an interesting place at the time. I'll talk more about that in my next song. But there was a, actually a pretty vibrant music scene there and a little and again a little different something you know that was a little different than I hadn't heard before. Again, being exposed to new stuff. So that was that was probably that that part of it. How did you wind up there? Was it because of your connections through the Coast Guard? Did you yep. meet her and followed her there? No, I, I was in the Coast Guard and stationed there. Actually, uh, was, was okay. stationed in, in uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, and met her uh, at a at a club. <laughs> and you know, we we uh, uh, started dating, and she shared a lot of the same. She, she loved you too. That was our common bond. She's like, I love, like you too. I was like, oh, you too is great, and she loved you too. So that was a good thing. Okay. Well, let us get on to your second song, then. <laughs> this so, is the De La Soul song. Yep, yep. So I haven't heard this for a while, and I look forward to listening to it again, because it's in there. I know it's in there. Yep, yep. <laughs> so this, this, I picked this song because, so my first job um, in radio was at a top 40 station, truly a top 40 station. At that time, um, we were playing things like, when I got there, 
um, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, Vanilla Ice. And this would have been what, MC probably Hammer. late 80s? Uh, probably 90, 92, 93. No, okay, early yeah, 90s. Yeah, 92, okay. 93. It was sort of that dance mix. So <laughs> rap music was, at that time, if you remember, like the Arsenio Hall show, there was always, you know, rap was starting to come into some prevalence there. And the program director was a very safe, obviously a very safe station. We catered to, you know, 18 to 34-year-olds and played played it pretty safe. There was an urban station in Norfolk called WOWI that played – that played urban music and, and definitely was different than us. But um, so the program director would, <laughs> and this is going back, uh, if you worked at a radio station during that time, you'd get what were called promo CDs. Oh, yeah. And I mean, when I say some promo CDs, so we were a top 40 station that played a little bit of rap. So we got record company service from all the record companies. And at that time, they would drop off cases of music, just yeah. and cases and cases of music. And Excuse me. They had the promo cuts in them. They'd be, they, yeah, they'd be they had a stamp. Knopped, notched, Correct. and they'd be sometimes stamped Correct. on the on the front of the liner notes. So, <clears throat> unlike today, where you can fit everything on a phone, they would we would run out of space for all the music that would come in. I mean, at that time, in a program director's office, there was just stacks and stacks of CDs. Yeah. You know, I mean, just everywhere because there was just some. You know, the record company at that time, the service was just they sent you everything. Yep. So he would on two. I think I was trying to remember. Maybe on Tuesdays or maybe Thursdays, he would throw out stuff. And he would just put it in a pile by his door. And me being, you know, I want to discover new music, want to hear things, want to, want to see what's going on. I would just grab handfuls of CDs. Some of them I would throw out. Yeah, yeah. And to this day, I probably, <laughs> to my detriment, I still have some cases in a storage area, a bunch of, a bunch <laughs> of promo CDs, which will never be worth anything. <laughs> but part of me is I just can't throw them away. Um, and uh, I, I kind of had heard some. You know, some urban music, some rap music, and uh, I don't know, it just kind of resonated with me. And and I picked up a CD. It was Dallas All Three Feet High and Rising. It was already a couple years old. He was probably thrown out. It was probably at that time it was already a couple years old or a year or so old. So uh, listened to it. And I was like, wow, this is again, this is different. Um, sounds like something that I, I hadn't heard before. Um, and I think again, going back to just like the Ramones, one of the things that um, attracted me to that is if you listen to De La Soul, great band. They use a lot of samples and everything, that ever, almost the first album, Three Feet High and Rising, almost all of it is sampled. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, P-Funk, the Turtles. I think there's even, believe it or not, I think there's some Bob Seeker samples on a couple of their, uh, a couple of their songs. And this is when samples were wide open. Yeah, exactly. You, you, this was the Wild West of correct, samples. Yeah. Correct. And I think Della Soul actually had some legal trouble later on down the road by using, this. Is, they were kind of in the middle of the fight of. Yeah, there were a couple acts yeah. and I think they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched a documentary on that. Yep. And, yeah, and, and so. And so that was probably what tied me to it, and then that started kind of the whole, you know, that my journey into that 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 kind of music for the next ten years, well, t- till today. Why'd you pick this particular song? Um, it was the it was the first single on the album, and it was it just uh, the the beginning part. Um, it's got the the bass line from P Funk, and it's just I had heard that, and I was like, this is cool, and that's you know, it was just this song just made me think of picking up those CDs. You know, cases of you know grabbing armloads of CDs, throwing some of them out, but finding that gem, which was you know the the, the gem in that thing, and held on to it. I uh, I'll tell after the song. I've got a similar story with promo CDs and finding a gem and changing my musical talent yep. and my tastes. Uh, okay, this is um, song number two. This is "Me Myself and I" by De La Soul from the 1989 album Three Feet High and Rising. It's Scott Miller's second song on this episode of Three Song Stories. That's me, myself, and I. How long ago since you listened to that? It's been a minute, yeah. but it's it's one of those that, that, that definitely takes me back because it was you know I just got married, and um, uh, you know it was just a you know we were together, not making any money, and you know kind of doing our thing, and 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 uh, that just reminds me of that time when 
you know, just starting out. We were just starting out, and uh, that's always an interesting time. What'd your new wife think of this new music? You know, she was super, she was always super open to it. She didn't she didn't care for she didn't care for the the punk stuff. Um, so she was kind of happy you were moving on. <laughs> yeah. And she always makes fun of to this day she makes fun of the uh, if I play the Smiths in the house. I love the Smiths. She's like that's just so depressing. How can you listen? I'm like it's good music. So I can't explain it, but you know, she'll she'll make fun of, you know, if I or if we're in the car and I'm listening to the radio and you know a Smith song come on or it comes on or Joy Division. She always thinks that's, you know, that's that's not her flavor. But um, you know, she was she was tolerant of all, of all. I was always bringing music in the house, and she kind of put up with it. And then later on, after I had actually we had lived in an apartment, that got a house. Uh, I had a garage, so I could put stuff in the garage. <laughs> you know, I could actually store stuff in the garage. Does she have any musical stylings that you I would rather not listen to? Um. Big Dave Matthews fan. Oh yeah, so, <laughs> we just refer to him as Dave on this <laughs> Dave, show. Okay. And and not and, and not that I don't not that I don't like Dave Matthews, but you know Dave Matthews. Um, How many know, concerts of his has she drugged you to? Uh, too many. <laughs> Actually, funny story. Funny story about that. We had gone. We had gone to see Dave Matthews with a group of people, and I'm a very casual Dave Matthews fan. Just from her, obviously, just hearing you know that that stuff. And we were with a group of people, and uh, Ants Marching was his like his big hit. And uh, one of the people we were with, she said to me, she goes, oh, she goes, that's my bathroom song. And I was like, oh, man. Because, you know, like when that song, she was such a Dave Matthews fan and had been to. Okay, that's it, the song when she gets up right, to go she, use right, the bathroom. Right, I, I was like, she's at home. And when she goes to the bathroom, no, no, she listens no, no. to the ants so marching. We're, right, we were, we were, I mean, I didn't explain it. We were actually at, we were actually at the concert. And I just, uh-huh. I felt like it was sort of a, a funny thing to say. Because that was my favorite, you know. I like that song. She's like, well, this is my bathroom song because, you know, she had seen him so many times that that song was just sort of like, you know. Anything else besides Dave? You were going somewhere else and I cut you off. No. um, (laughs) You know, maybe a little, you know, a U2. um, She, uh, you know, anything, anything in that vein. Nothing that she's really just, you know, super wet. Gotcha. Just. So how in were you, like you said, with punk, you were all in. So with De La Soul and like early hip hop and rap, were you all in or was it just kind of adding a new little genre to your rotation? You know, at this time, it was sort of like things were starting to pile on. So, you know, as far as things that I liked or liked to listen to, but but rap, you know, De La Soul kind of opened that um, that gate to a lot of other things, too, in the in that rap, in the rap genre. So bands like Tribe Called Quest or the Fugees or... Um, you know, uh, some of the some of the really good uh, Jungle Brothers stuff like that at the time. I was absorbing all that. It was all good. It was it was great stuff. And um, where I was in Virginia it was a very interesting time there also because uh, the high school that my wife graduated from, uh, the high school just down the road, Missy Elliott graduated from, huh. um, and also a, a producer you might have heard of the name was Timbaland. So Timbaland mm-hmm. and Missy Elliott went on to make some mega hits. And um, so she was always kind of around. I'd come to, come through the radio station a couple times while I was there. And also um, Pharrell Williams, if you know who Pharrell Williams is. Heard of them. Okay. He was in a band called the <laughs> Neptunes and Pharrell. <laughs> so Pharrell um, was a, uh, a young uh, producer and produced a lot of music, went on to do some really great things uh, as a solo career. But he also was kind of around there at the radio station at the time. And also at that time was Bruce Hornsby was big and had actually come through the radio station once. And at the time you see these people and you don't think about it. Bruce Hornsby had come to the radio station. He was from the Hampton Roads area. And um, – the production director and I met him, and he did a thing in the studio. And and years later, after he had gotten huge, I mean, you know, when his when his stuff just took off, it was just you know we had we had seen it, but at the time didn't think much of it. Just like you know some of the other people that I had met along the way, 
early in their careers, uh, you know, didn't think much of it. And then later on, you're like, wow, that person got pretty big. I've been meaning to add a new question to the rotation, and this will be a perfect time to ask it. Who is the most famous musician you've met? Ooh, um, I, I've met, I mean, I've met a lot in terms of, like, yeah, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of, um, famous, I mean, James Hetfield from Metallica, um, um, let's see. I did. I did meet Joey Ramone, which was which was a big. Did you tell a, him your origin story? No. <laughs> it was at a time when the band was they were they were on their sort of on their last legs, and mm-hmm. and none of the band spoke to each other. So I was at a went to a concert and and because uh, of my radio connection, got backstage and it was just a quick hello. But none of the none of the rest of the band was there at this. It, it was weird toward the end of their their career. They didn't talk to each other, and they all just like flew in to play concerts and then just flew back out. I'm gonna see famous person. Um. I mean, I've met I, I've met a lot of people, but I, James Hatfield, I think, as far as in terms of uh, that, was probably one of the bigger, I guess, one of the biggest artists I've ever met. I've met a lot of country. I've met a lot of country artists too. I met Garth Brooks, um, Clint Black, because I worked at some country stations mm-hmm. and, and they had they had come through. Um, but yeah, it would, it'd be tough to, it would be tough to say. <laughs> um, real quick, my uh, uh, promo CD story is I worked uh, for a while at a, uh, a media play company mm-hmm. in Gainesville. So it was books, music, video. I was the book manager. The video or the, the music manager would get stacks and stacks of promo yep. CDs and they just let them, we just can take them home. And I took a stack of like 20 home and I got all the way through it. And the very last one, I put it in and it turned out to be my favorite band of all time. It was this Canadian band called Moxie Fruvis that nobody's ever heard of. They right. were barely big in Canada, but it just completely changed my yeah. whole future. It was yeah. just like every other CD I'd listen to a song or two and be like, no, no. And then I put that on and I listened to it and then I listened to it again. Yeah. And I listened to it again. Then I listened to it right, again. Probably, and that was and it was just total happenstance. Yep. Like if I hadn't been in that place at that time with that stack of CDs, everything, my 90s would have been different. Yep. And and same, same that that's very similar. To, I mean, had I not seen that CD, I don't know why I gave it a chance or why I put it on my you know CD player. At the time, but it just you know it sounds the same thing you know for you. You found a band, and you know the music discovery. That's the, that's the biggest part of. I mean, that's why you guys do the show. I mean, yeah. you know, as far as the, as far as the, you know how dis- people discover music, yeah, and how that just that one moment of yep. happenstance can literally change kind of who you are. Absolutely, you know, it's, absolutely, it's, it's the magic of art, really. Yep. Yep. Um, so it, me finding that band in 1992 kept me from listening to grunge. It kept you from it? Yeah. Okay. Did you do grunge because you were getting into the De La Soul yeah, territory? I was, so in uh, towards the late 90s, I went went to work and actually started a rock, um, was uh, at, at the launch of a rock station for Clear Channel. And that was sort of just the edge of like grunge when grunge was really, really starting to take off. And I liked it. It was okay. I mean, there was a couple bands I liked. I really, you know, I enjoyed. Pearl, but you weren't wearing you weren't wearing no, flannel and uh-uh. rolling up your uh-uh. jeans. <laughs> I always felt like it was. Well, I was sort of. In, there was a period when I was sort of into hair metal, also. So grunge killed hair metal. So, you know, the the Warrants and the Motley Crues they, they were killed by Nirvana. I mean, they basically slaughtered them. And that's I was in radio at the time, so it was a weird seismic shift when all these kind of hair bands, Poison, you know, uh, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Mm-hmm. You know, six months later. Basically, you know, Nirvana stuck a stake in their heart and that, you know, killed that genre, killed that genre of music, you know, flat dead. Um, have you seen lots of concerts in your life? Yes. Uh, how many, mostly because of you're working in radio or I, just you're a concert goer in I'm general? A con- I'm a concert goer in general. I've tried to, I mean, if there's somebody, although in the last, obviously in the last couple of years, it's been tough, but I've tried to see as much live music as humanly possible. You know, anytime I get a chance to see live music, I'll, I'll do it. If I have to travel or, um, 
probably I don't know. Yeah, it's it, I've seen a lot of concerts. Peak concert experience. <sighs> you don't have to think too hard about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably we. I saw. Um, and again, not a band that you know more my wife related to, but I saw you uh, two on the Zoo TV tour, hmm. and this was at a time when they were coming off of. Uh, you know, they'd had some really, you know, big success and then things had kind of shifted a little bit. Their their popularity had waned a little bit and they came back with um, uh, with Zoo TV and it was just this big multimedia experience. They had these TVs all over the walls. They actually suspended cars from the ceiling and it was just, it was different. And that was, that was really, really cool. I remember seeing that and we had great seats because I worked at the radio station and <laughs> the record company was like, here's some great seats. And so we had, you know, wonderful seats for that. And then um, probably seeing the Ramones, that was, that was a big deal. Uh, saw him, I think, five or six times. And um, what else? Yeah, that's. I, I mean, it, there's. I, I, it's, it's hard to think about. I, you know, I knew you would probably ask that, and it's hard to think about what the best, you know, what the a- absolute best experience was. Um, right before the pandemic, and funny coming up with my third song in January, my sisters and I traveled to Miami and went and saw New Order, um, which was an '80s kind of electronic band, and <clears throat> they were on a world tour, and it was wonderful. It was great. I mean, even. 25 years removed from what their, you know, most of their accessible catalog was, it still sounded great. Mm. It was, it was, it was a good, it was a good show. Do you have an example of getting to see sort of a big act in a small intimate venue? I've seen a lot of bigger country stars do small in, in smaller venues. Because um, of radio. Yeah. Because yeah, radio. In, come they, in and do little remote. Yeah. They, rock, they come know, in and yeah, they'll, they'll come in. Um, we actually had a, a performance space where artists would come in and, uh, but as far as as far as intimate type experiences, um, I don't. I'd really have to think about that. that. That's a that's a tough question. That's okay. Yeah. Um, so, how many radio stations have you worked with, or radio radio um, jobs have you had? It's probably multiple stations yeah. in certain markets. So I've been in, I've been like in six that. different markets, and yeah. um, you know, e- each market had its own. Uh, when I was in Wheeling, West Virginia, we had seven stations. We had a country, we had a rock, we had a top forty, we had a Americana station, we had a. Um, uh, news talk, sports station. Um, you know, and here there's a rock station, there's a top 40 station, an urban, it's not really not an urban, it's a party station, and then uh, a country station. So all those, and also all those formats, through cons- <laughs> the first radio job I had was just a single station. It was just a top 40 station. And then through consolidation, when they rolled back all the regulations, you could have as many stations as you wanted. So there's, I would work in a building where there's four or five different signals that all played different stuff five different program directors. So that to me that was like, oh, you know, I got to see I got to hear so much different stuff. How much if at all did the nature of your job change based on the format the station was playing? I mean, from from your side of that aisle yeah. was it still kind of the job? Yeah. Or did it differ, you know, if it was a country station or a hard rock station? I always thought of it was radio was radio uh fed my musical addiction um as a perk to working in radio. So you know, the fact that I could see, you know, Garth Brooks or go see Metallica or whatever that was. Loved working in the, you know, in the sales and management business. I, I love that and working with clients. But the perk of it was that there was always tickets or CDs or, you know, tchotchkes or T-shirts or whatever that were just there, you know. And, and that, was, that was just like the perk. So. But did you have to sell different? Um, so you have to be, I mean, obviously you have to be a little bit of a chameleon 
depending on format. I sold news talk format for a long time. Um, and so that is Because def- who's going to want to advertise right. on those different right. kinds of stations? Right. There's going to be a different subset of businesses or whatever. So, you know, and what Clear Channel, through again, through consolidation, when I worked at a top 40 station, we were trying to find 18 to 34-year-old adults. That's, that's who it was. And then, of course, a news talk station, the demographic would be older. Um, and so you'd have to really cater to them. We'd have to, you know, make our sales um, – Consistent with whatever that with whatever that audience is, because there's a big difference between the people that are passionate about country music and the people that are passionate about top forty music. At least there there was. Now it's it's much bigger. You know, the, it's it's a melting pot because uh, just because of the way music is delivered. But so you had to be a little bit of a chameleon. So there were different ways to, to approach clients um, as far as you know what the, what the format was. So how has your two months in public media been? <laughs> so, excuse me. So I was really excited. And Corey Lewis, who's the general manager here, he a uh, uh, very persuasive gentleman, by the way. He's very persuasive. And um, we had talked for a long time. And I think, you know, at my age and, and what I'd done, I, not to sound snobby, but I think I'd done everything I could on that side of the world as far as sales management for radio stations. Beyond owning a station, that, was, that would be it. So always been, a, you know, always been a fan of public media. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was an opportunity. I saw the opportunity and I think what Corey was doing, you know, he's building, he's building something a little different. He comes from Boston. So he's got some, you know, maybe bigger market ideas that I really gravitated towards. Yeah. This may be an unanswerable question or maybe an odd question or maybe an easy question. Um, was being a public radio listener while working in the commercial radio world make you an outlier? Or, you know, it seems to me like there's kind of a pretty bright line between yeah. the two people who do each yeah but maybe I, that's not a fair assessment i don't know so i'm a big consumer podcast too so i was listening to radio lab back i mean from the dawn of it before it was even i think before it was even called a podcast mm-hmm. so um and i always uh in the tiny desk concerts and stuff like that so i i gravitated towards that and always saw that as like oh, that's pretty cool you know i mean there's some there's some good stuff going on there so it is two. It's two very separate worlds for sure, and it's been again two months, sixty days in, literally like sixty days today. It's it's uh, it's a learning thing, and I'm growing and learning, and I, I like it. I mean, it's it is different though for sure, for sure. Um, you worked uh, before coming here. You were last with iHeartMedia. Mm-hmm. Um, do you happen to know the name Dustin Hapley? This may not even make Dustin it onto Hapley. the final version of this yeah. radio. So. Um, he used to be the pro, uh, the production manager here. Okay. And he now, um, that was 20 years ago, he now is an engineer for a big iHeartMedia network up in Chicago. Yeah. So he's just, he's been with the, you, that company for yeah. about 10 years. i not, not familiar with the name. Okay. Uh, but there's a lot of, a, yeah. Just an, a shot. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's get to your third song. Um, so, again... On the on the dis- hey, well, you know want to play this first? And then, Absolutely. And then talk, yeah, let's play. You, I'm going to make you say it though, because I I don't know I don't so, know how to say those words. So the, so the name of, the <laughs> Here, name you of, intro this one. Okay. So the name of this band is called Krungbin, uh, which is Thai for airplane. This is not a Thai band, by the way. They're not Thai. And uh, uh, the name of the uh, song is Maria Tambien, and the it's from the album from the album Con Todo El Mundo. All right. Which means everything. All right. This is Scott Miller's third and final song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. That's kind of hypnotizing. Isn't it? Yeah. Different, right? Yeah. I mean, just just, just so different. Some of those melody lines, too. It almost seemed like they were purposefully skipping notes or something. Yeah. The the syncopation's weird. The timing's weird. Um, The... You know the structure that the structure of everything that they do is kind of strange. And again, I, I heard that I was like, oh, that's a little different. So what's the story? So, 
Um, they've been around, uh, Krungbin's been around for a couple years. I think their first album was in 2018. It's a three-piece band from Texas. And that's a three-piece band That's from a three-piece band, oh, yeah, yeah, unbelievably. And if you watch some of their stuff, I mean, they are just, uh, the guitar player, just unbelievable musician. I mean, just the way he plays the guitar. And there's a, uh, a, a girl named Laura Leasy that's the bass player, and she plays the bass. And then a drummer who is a classically trained drummer and is just, I mean, just, if you listen to Keeping Time, I mean, just the, the, the time stand, the time signature behind it is unbelievable. So um, I was, you know, I, I just try and always trying to discover music, and I was on YouTube, and somehow, some way, somehow, the algorithm picked up this song, and it was in January of 2020. And um, I was really excited, so I found a new band. I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to go see them. And they were going to be in Tampa in, <coughs> excuse me, they were going to be in Tampa in, I think, uh, like June of 2020. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so in March of 20, as, as we locked down, this, sort of, this album sort of became the soundtrack for you know, the beginning of the pandemic because it was weird and kind of spacey. And looking around, I mean, I live, you know, obviously we all live here. It was just a whole, whole different landscape. And so I started walking um, to because I was working from home. We were locked down. I started walking and, you know, started playing this, their first album. And it just seemed like it's just sort of a soundtrack for everything that was going on. Because as, as I'm walking down, you know, cut, cutting down 41, there's no traffic. Um, you know, yeah. the, gas, there's, the gas stations are closed. Um, that first, you know, six to eight weeks – and hearing the song, for some reason, just resonated. I'm like, this is almost like an outer, you know, it's from outer space. And I feel like we're in outer space right now. It's just so strange. So that's that's kind of, that's how, why this song <clears throat> really resonates with me. It's just, it sounded different and it was a completely different time. And hearing it, and I, I still listen, I still listen a lot. Actually, they just put out new music, which is even better than this. And for the rest of your life, whenever you hear the, this song or that music, you're going to think of the pandemic sure. early days, you know. Sure, sure. I was excited to see him and, you know, I was like, yeah, we're going to go over there and, Brought up a bunch of people, some people that I worked with, like, this is a great band. I kind of turned a couple of people on to them and said, listen, these guys are great. And then that was in January. And then by March, you know, things had, ch- things had changed so much. And, you know, the radio business, every- everything just got so weird right away. But this was sort of like a, this was sort of like my, just my soundtrack for that. Do they have lyrics in some of their music? They do. Okay. They do. Actually, Leon Bridges, their newest, um, their newest music, uh, Leon Bridges um, does a couple songs, but most of their early stuff is instr- instrumental. Hmm. So it's interesting. It's interesting stuff. But they're, and I missed them. They were going to be, they actually were in Miami, uh, I believe, right at the beginning of May. But I had some conflict as far as scheduling conflicts. Couldn't get there and was kind of bummed about that. But hopefully they'll, hopefully they'll come back through. You'll hit them sometime. Yeah, it at some point. Like. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're, doing, they're doing a lot of um, a lot of really good things. So I'm excited. I mean, it's exciting. And again, you know, I discovered them. No one had ever said anything to me. I mean, like, hey, have you ever heard this? I just... They popped up on YouTube, and I saw it. I'm like, oh, this is so different. Sometimes the algorithm does good things. Yeah, <laughs> most time not, but. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, well, here, are you ready for a speed round? Sure. Got a nickname that's stuck over the course of your life that you would be willing to share into a microphone? <laughs> My, uh, and it has been for, I, I, it's, it sounds kind of silly as I'm, Scotty Millions. Um, for, that's not silly. That's a, what nicknames I've, are for. <laughs> I, had a client, I had a client give that to me, and. That some people know me as that, I guess. Karaoke. Are you a karaoke? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Let's go. The way you were looking, I was like, this could go either way. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Set it up. Let's. What's let's, your let's go-to go. karaoke song? Uh, gosh, probably either Santeria or What I Got by Sublime. Oh, I could see that. <laughs> followed up by followed up by uh, uh, Johnny Cash. If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind, what would it be? Uh, 
straight shot of bourbon. Make it personal somehow, just to slightly personalize it. Uh, the Equalizer. The Equalizer. What kind of bourbon? Uh, Buffalo Trace. All right. If you had to guess, what song would you think you've listened to the most times? There's times when I get when I get songs on repeat, and I'll listen to it 30 or 40. I mean, just just over and over. But I, off the top of my head, I can't think of one that I probably listened to more than the other. Um, well, jump back to that one. I, I can't I can't really think of what what that would be. Song that you wish you could hear again for the first time. Gina's a punk rocker. Yeah, why not? Album you wish you could hear again for the first time. Mm. Uh, the Lemonheads, a shame about Ray, because that was something that 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 that, uh, that was something else. I was, I mean, that I only got three songs, but there was something to that as far as moment in time and just hearing that for the first time. I mean, like, okay. Um, are there any songs you'll avoid listening to because you don't want to have memories revived that are associated with them? Oh, man. Uh, Walk Like a Man, uh, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. I won't even ask you why. No. It was, my dad, it was my dad's favorite song. He just Understood. Yeah. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously, which song would you choose to do mm. that with? Wow. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I will follow by you two, maybe. Yeah, just because it's it's so positive. Yeah. Um, are there any albums that you always want to try to listen to in their entirety instead of piecemeal? Yeah. Um, probably the. I mean, you know. Start to Stop, uh, Nothing Shocking by Jane's Addiction, which is was a masterpiece. And then the first Nirvana, I mean, again, this is sort of grunge, but uh, that first Nirvana album definitely deserves to be listened to straight through because there's, you know, it's not just it Smells Like Teen Spirit. I mean, that was seismic. I mean, what they did, again, stuck a stake in the heart of, of hair metal. And, uh, you know, that whole album is... And that was it, though, for them, as far as I was concerned. Then whatever came after that was not was not as great. That was their one, you know, that was their one thing. I wonder what it felt like for all those hair metal bands that were just on top of the world to have these guys come along that were just like, you know, Nirvana that just took over the world. Right. It because they, you know, you know, they were riding high, inflated egos, Absolutely. rock and roll. I am splendid on stage. Well, I. It's funny. There was a. I forget the name of the documentary. I think it was. Um, Decline of Western Civilization, like part three, and uh, the lead singer from the band Warrant told the story about they went to an, a meeting at the record company. I don't know which record company it was. And a month prior, they'd had their picture up like in the in the lobby or whatever. And then they went for their second meeting and all these hair metal bands, they were all taken down. And then there was like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and whatever. And he goes, I knew it was over at that point. He said, because the record companies gave up on us. You know, they had actually changed, you know changed out the pictures in the lobby because we were done at that point. So interesting. Wow. Um, album you would choose if you can only ever listen to one album again. Probably Shame About Ray by the Lemonheads. I mean, if, if I was on a desert island and that was it, I could listen to that back, to, back all the way through a bunch of times. What would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today? <laughs> Sell out. <laughs> <laughs> Your fourteen-year-old listening to the Ramones right, at the like, dance. My fourteen-year-old listening to the Ramones would be like, "How did you? How did you?" Get Your nickname's gonna be what? <laughs> yeah, Scotty Moon, <laughs> corporate, corporate, you know, corporate raider. But because uh, there was a point, yeah, right, get into that, you know, kind of getting into punk against every, you know, we were against everything. It was like, no, you know, no corporate stuff. So probably my. Probably my 16-year-old self would look at me and be like, what happened? You weren't, you weren't in a jacket. <laughs> you know? where's, your, where's your T-shirt and high tops? 
Anything you'd want to tell your 14-year-old self? Um, eat better. <laughs> Practical <laughs> advice. You know, I'd, be like, I'd probably be like, you know what? You should, you should probably eat better. All right. It is time for you to recommend your three people. Um, I would probably say uh, my sister, um, Sandra Miller. She's in Philadelphia. Um, actually, my friend, I went, I went uh, uh, fishing with him last night. His name is Jason Matthews. He's from here, actually, and we have a connection going back 20 years. And he's a musician. He's a local musician here. And then uh, Adam Bauer, who's a gentleman that I worked with um, at my other job, and he's from Boston and is an absolute guitar virtuoso. I mean, and unknown. I mean, he plays the guitar better than anybody I've ever seen, and this guy has just done it just not to be in bands or to do anything, just to play the guitar. And he knows a ton about me. Huge James Taylor fan. Like, James Taylor is his thing. So. Well, put this in their hands, and we'll try to get them on the show, even including your sister. We can do a remote if we yeah, have to put it together. Yeah. So. She's she's she's. She's she's very she's very good. Cool. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? We appreciate you doing yeah, this. No, I appreciate. It. I think this pod this 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 broadcast is fantastic, and you guys do a great job. I listened back through it, and uh, you know, and you're great, and and Richard, and I think it's uh, it deserves to be heard more. I'm not sure what the we are broadcast on. People are listening to this right now. It is uh, it is it is ten fifty eight on Saturday morning, okay. someday in the future. Fantastic, but yeah, man, I, I really enjoy it. And I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to let me come in here. Yeah, no, it's guy. great to get to know you. And uh, like I said, you've been here two months, and I think this is the first time we've met. So yeah, I've, now I, I, I know I, you. Yep, I think I passed you in the hall, and you know, this it's funny because this side of the building, I'm, I just keep passing by, and I haven't been. This is the first time I've actually been in two months into the radio side of it. Oh well, welcome <laughs> to the coolest part of the building. <laughs> <laughs> we make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chen Kui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Chris Duffis is executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. If you'd like to hear a slightly shorter version of this conversation, but one that contains longer versions of the songs, go to WGCU.org and click the Listen tab at the top of the page. For this week's Parting Tune, we're leaping back one year to our teen pilot episode with episode 170 guest Declan Ireland. Declan will be a senior theater major at Cypress Lake High Center for the Arts in the fall. We all came in on a Saturday, including my teenage daughter Gwen, to record his episode, and then we even snuck in a D&D campaign right into the middle of that episode. We actually released it as bonus content if you're interested in checking it out. Declan's first song told the foundation story of, at least in part, why he is who he is today with the help of the one and only Jim Henson. My mom used to, according to her at least, I don't remember it, but you know, it's still a memory technically because she's told me that it happens. That's like 1984's Um, premise. (laughs) Yes, it is. That's the premise of 1984. My mom is a fascist. Um... That's not what I was implying. Uh, <laughs> Asterisk, that is not what I was implying. That is not true. Uh, she always used to sing The Rainbow Connection from The Muppets to me. Uh, and uh, due to that, both that song and The Muppets as a whole have always been a very big part of my life. And if you look at me, you can tell that I like who I am has been kind of based off of how zany the Muppets are. For our listeners, I'm wearing a variety of different colors and a cardigan that features clowns on it. Yeah. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. I want money. Lots and lots of money. (laughs) 